0: Behind the Bite Podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like The Full of Shift Podcast, After the First Marriage Podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite Podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. So I was standing in line the other day at a store, and honestly, I was minding my own business. and. I don't know about you, but when I'm in line somewhere, I am pretty close to other people, whether I want to be or not. And if those people near to me happen to be conversing with each other quite loudly, as the two I was particularly close to that day, then I really don't count that as eavesdropping or being nosy. And if you are out in public having a loud conversation among strangers, then your conversation is just, it's not private. So there I was, and I happened to be standing in line with the two people conversing loudly. And my head almost spun around when I heard one of them say this. They said, Hey, when I saw you today, I was so jealous. I know you just had the flu, but you look amazing. I wish I could have come over when you had it. So I could have gotten it and lost just as much weight as you. The flu's awful, but it would have been so worth it. That is That would have been the best diet ever. Now, I know I've heard ridiculous things like this before, but even so, each and every time I hear something like this, or someone say something so ludicrous as to wish that they could be ill so that they could lose weight, or they praise someone who has just been sick and lost weight on how great they look. my head spins. I have so many thoughts and feelings like shock, frustration, anger. I mean, I could just go on. I could say so many things and none of them would be positive or good. And honestly, what is wrong with our society that there are people out there that would actually want to be sick to suffer just to lose weight? What does that say about our society that we praise people for how they look during or just after being really sick? sick, not healthy. I, I would love to hear what you guys have to say. If you have any thoughts or opinions about this yourself, please, please DM or message me. I would love to know what is going on in your minds when you hear things like this or just heard what I said. Okay, now that being said, today's guest probably has many of his own personal thoughts and opinions on all of this. Uh, newly published author of Cancer, Musical Theater, and Other Chronic Illnesses, New York-based author, actor, and digital creator Edward Miske is celebrating his 10-year cancer-free anniversary of a rare, aggressive, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He is here to share his personal story about his struggles with body image, ed, and surviving cancer. Well, Edward, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you have quite a story. And I know you said you're an open book. Um, So, you know, most of the listeners here, obviously, are going to relate to you for, you know, the eating disorder uh, part of your life. And I'm just wondering, would you, you know, be willing and open to talking about that part of your life and how, you know, you got I guess, started with your issues with food and body image and all that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how did you get started on your eating disorder? Well, where did
0: you know people ask me that? They're like, "How did that happen?" Yeah, well, I mean,
1: I was born in America, and uh, (laughs) that alone, right? That that was number one. Um, also, my family is Italian, and there tends to be a lot of really juxtaposed, um, ideas of how much food you should be eating and what you should look like as a result you know it's always like eat 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 and then it's like oh but you're getting fat so like that was a lot of the narrative as a kid which is confusing um my grandfather my mom's dad was also in the military so you know it didn't matter how in shape we were we were never in shape you know i played sports throughout my whole life and i just thought that i was a bowling ball the whole time um you know when i look back at photos of me and like like, later in high school and the early years here in New York, and I just thought I was, like, repulsive and mm. should have been a size 28 waist, even though I'm 6'4 and all ribcage. And I look at those photos, I'm like, you look ill. Like, mm. it's not okay. It's not good. Um, You know, and for, well, we can get into the cancer stuff later, but, like, for perspective, the least the the lowest my weight got numerically when I was in cancer treatment was still higher than my weight was when I left high school. And like that in and of itself should tell me something.
0: <laughs> well, so, it's, you know, and you know, a lot of people listening can relate to family, culture, expectations. And I've heard that a lot, too, as people look back at pictures and say, gosh, you know, I thought so differently about myself and look back and go, what on earth was I thinking? So that's very common.
1: Yeah, well, and also I, I think I mentioned before we hit record that I work in the entertainment industry. And so there's another layer of expectation and scrutiny and, you know, like just what what people want from you. And there is always someone who is in better shape, who's skinnier, who's more muscly, who's more chiseled, who's better looking than you ahead of you. And you can't help but compare yourself, especially when, you know, they're booking jobs that you were up for. And then you look at them and you're like, well, if I just was, you know, if I didn't have this little piece of skin right here, I would have been like, that's so made up. And it's, it's dumb shit that we make up in our heads. A lot of times, as far as the context of the entertainment industry goes that we put upon ourselves that we are perceiving the industry is telling us to do. And in some cases, they are like I just saw a TikTok the other day about cruise ship kids that are out on the sea right now who are having weekly weigh ins. And I thought that weigh ins like went away years ago. Um, I did a cruise ship like 11 or 12 years ago and we didn't have weigh ins. We were supposed to. We didn't. Um,
0: wow. I did. Too. Yeah. So Tell me a little about that, because what, what do you say? Cruise ship kids? What are, What are you talking about?
1: So, like, you know, when you I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship, but they have shows on on the ship and okay. their musicals or their reviews or whatever the case may be. And, you know, your costumes have to fit because you only get one and you're in the middle of the ocean. And oftentimes they don't have like an in-house seamstress or wardrobe person to do any kind of repairs or alterations. And so it is in your contract that you cannot gain or lose a certain amount of weight in either direction. And so they used to do, and apparently they're still doing it, Norwegian Cruise Lines, weigh-ins. Like, why?
0: (laughs) Oh my, I knew that was going on way back in the day with stewardesses on airlines, but that is shocking.
1: Yeah. The fact that it's still happening is shocking. A friend of mine and I saw that TikTok and we were like, are you joking? Like, weigh-ins, weigh-ins.
0: Wow. So, gosh, so you had that experience yourself. So... Yeah. Um, just kind of going back in your own life, like, how did you get involved with the entertainment industry?
1: I was born ish into it. Okay. (laughs) Um, My parents are really musical and artsy. And, you know, my whole family is pretty artsy. My sister's an opera singer and a teacher. My little sister sings. My dad's a singer and songwriter. My mom played piano. Um, my grandfather, my great grandfather founded one of the first tambourts and bands in the country. And like, there's a whole history with that, but, you know, it was just something that I naturally gravitated towards. My aunt worked on Broadway for 20 years. And so like, of course, that's what I wanted to do. And I'd been doing musicals uh, or were was on stage in some capacity from the time I was probably five And so it was like growing up with body dysmorphia, transitioning into like teenage years with that, despite being active and everything else, again, comparing myself to other people, like my peers and, you know, famous people, which is completely not even like a logical thing to do (laughs) because they have millions of dollars and a whole team working with them. Um, And then again, like going to New York and for real pursuing entertainment as a profession, Mm -hmm. You really get into that idea of like, oh, well, if I look like that person, I'll have that kind of career. Okay. so it's been it's it's a lifelong journey.
0: (laughs) You know, it's interesting, too. I've had a handful of men on the show. And so most people have this myth that, you know, men don't have eating disorders and um, (laughs) right.
1: Not true. (laughs)
0: So, you know, I'm really grateful for you to be on here and, and also dispel that myth um but i'm wondering your experience did you find that being in the entertainment industry there was a lot of men who did struggle with body image oh my and god disorders
1: every single one of them i mean like okay. you there i've had this personal conversation with friends about this specifically but there was an interview recently with i think uh chris evans chris evans some famous muscle marvel junkie guy mm-hmm. Um, who was talking about like they showed a picture of him as like whatever superhero he is, <clears throat> and they were like, "Yeah, like so that like do you do you work out regularly?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "That person is starving. That is like no food. You're barely allowed to have water. You're doing these rigorous regimens," and he kind of goes into it. But there's um there's a thing here in New York called Broadway Bears. It's a fundraiser for the Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS Foundation, and they raise millions of dollars every year, but they have this one event called Broadway Cares Every Summer that kicks off Pride Weekend, where all of the Broadway dancer boys get together with all the Broadway dancer girls and everybody else, and, and they put on this huge spectacle of a show. And it is so much fun, but everyone is mostly naked. And so to get prepared for that, these kids, like subside on like celery water and workouts like it's nuts like i have so many friends that do it and that is the most miserable week of the year for them they look great but they're fucking unhappy
0: so how does everybody know know what to do are they is everyone talking about oh this is what i do and then it's just this like known thing of oh this is what you're doing so i'm going to do it too like what happens there
1: I'm sure that there is a level of that. I was never involved in that to that extent. Okay. Um, I was only ever an observer, not a participant. So I don't know firsthand what they do exactly, but I know that there is a raging culture of eating disorders and drug use to, like, stay skinny. And I don't mean drugs, like, no one's doing meth to, like, get skinny, mm-hmm. although maybe they are. But, you know, there's definitely like it's 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 a thing that people do you know we always joke around like oh you know how does how does the dancer get through eight shows a week on broadway coke you know and like
0: wow
1: it's 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 terrible and there's there's a huge expectation on these kids to perform but then also look a particular way and it's almost like god you can't you almost can't have both and be healthy at the same time so
0: like for you what happened like obviously you're you know i'm Italian too there's the cultural expectation eat eat <laughs> eat right um so at home there was food what happened with you like did you start to feel like oh i've got to start doing something different with my food like what did you start doing to try to alter how you looked or your weight like what did you start doing with food
1: um so i think Looking back, there was never really an intentional question mark thing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I know in high school, I was like living off of slim fast bars. I know that for certain. Like, that was like, I'd leave in the morning with one, I would eat like a little tiny baby bird at school, and then I would come home and like maybe have half of dinner and a slim fast bar. And like, that was me during formative years where I'm growing and like, should have been eating like a truck, but I was so afraid of being heavy that like, I was 16 and living off a of slim fast. Like, <laughs> so do you know, remember like,
0: so, where that came from? Like,
1: no, like, well, I mean, like, we yeah. were, you mean like culturally where it came from or for me personally where it came from?
0: Like, either, like, knowing, uh, Well, thinking back to you, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do or like why you started to do that.
1: Um, My both of my parents worked and me and both of my sisters were in a ton of extracurricular activities. So the whole grab and go breakfast meal on the go kind of thing worked for us because we were never around. Um, and so, like being able to grab a slim fast bar or two or three and pack, throw it in my backpack, and just go to school and be there all day for school, and then basketball, and then band, and then choir, and get home at nine o'clock and still have to do homework, and go, like we were running ourselves. For the frick. Wow. Um, We were very active kids, but. You know, like that just became part of our day to day. And I don't think I would have identified it as an eating disorder at the time. Mm. I had a friend who was like hospitalized and sent to like a thing for an eating disorder. And I looked at that and I was like, well, that's not me. So that's not what I'm doing. You know, Mm. I'll still have a burger, but like then I won't eat for a day and a half. And it was Mm. just like because I was trying to be careful like with my school uniform that I'd fit into it. Um, you know, Catholic school on top of all that. So that comes with its own, you know, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I don't think there was anything I ever intentionally did, at least back then I did it's foods, a rocky road, right? Like I want to eat it all the time, all, all day long. And I could absolutely go in either direction where it's compulsive binge eating and, or starvation central, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was certainly, uh, you know, the the late teen, early 20 years where I had just moved to the city, uh, to New York, like I couldn't afford food. And so it was like the the food I had in my apartment was it. And so like once that was gone, it was like, OK, well, when do I get paid next? And so like that kind of subconsciously fed the eating disorder um, without really knowing it, I think.
0: Okay, And I think that's common. A lot of people don't really know that they are disordered and they're eating or have an eating disorder. I think it's looking back and thinking, oh, like if I had known then or if I'd had the right. knowledge, right?
1: <laughs> like, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs>
0: but to your point of like, even saying like, oh, I would eat a burger and not even realizing like, why wasn't I eating for a day and a half after like having that it's, knowledge yeah. and awareness, like that's why I do the podcast, is to say, like, hey, anybody who's doing that, like, that's disordered. Right. Like Seek help. Yes. <laughs> like, what's going on there, right? But nobody was talking about it probably back then about like, that's 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 something that you need to eat consistently throughout the day, yeah. especially if you like with you, you're an active kid. Like, what was going on there?
1: Yeah. It's such. I mean, it layers upon layers. It was like family culture. It was entertainment industry culture because I was performing back then too. And so, like, you know, being a smart, intuitive kid, it was like, oh well, if I look like this, then maybe one day, you know. Huh? So going mm-hmm. down that path, um, yeah. And then, like, my late twenties, I swung in the opposite direction.
0: <laughs> what do you mean? Like, for anyone listening, going, what does that mean?
1: Oh, I um, mean, uh, like, so. So there was like the pocket of time with cancer and that added a whole nother layer because I like whittled myself down. Well, not chemo whittled me down to nothing. And then coming out of that, I had a nutritionist that told me I could eat this. I couldn't eat that. I could eat this. And because of like immune system stuff and just safety with food. And then once that was kind of over and it was like, oh, cancer's gone. You can celebrate now. Like. She celebrated like I was drunk all the time, like alcohol equals food. And so anytime I was drinking, I was eating. And then like, I think it was in one summer, I put on like 50 pounds, which is real hard to do. Like, I'm an overachiever.
0: So let's go back a little bit. That must have been something. So how old were you when you got diagnosed with cancer?
1: I was 25.
0: That's really young. Yeah. So
1: what, what
0: could... Do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Because I, I haven't actually sure. had anybody on the show talking about, you know, going through cancer. And I know that's something that is really, you know, obviously life changing and altering for lots of people. Um,
1: in, in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, uh, other than the obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I was I was 24. I, I was doing a production of Hairspray. I was about to do another production of Hairspray. Mm-hmm and found a little lump under my arm, you know, like textbook, lifetime movie. And uh, like, let it go. It was misdiagnosed. I went and did the other production of Hairspray. And when I came back from that, the little lump under my arm had turned into like a grapefruit under my arm. Uh, There are pictures. It's ugly. It was like my third boob, I always would say. Um, And so like, Going into that, you know, I came back and I had a biopsy and like a week later I was in chemo. Wow. And that that really, you know, at that point at 25, I looking back, of course, you know, I was in the best shape of my life. I looked great, you know, hot in 25. And uh, you know, going into the hospital and just having that completely ironed out was like really screws with you. Cause that literally is taking how you look and getting rid of it. So
0: did you Like getting that diagnosis, like, what did you go through emotionally? And I mean, obviously, physically, you kind of alluded to a lot changed with you physically, but were you still in the middle of like all your disordered eating and body image issues at that time?
1: I mean, yeah, it was like in hindsight, it was ongoing because if I was doing a show, that meant I had to fit into a costume. And so that meant that I had to work out a particular amount of hours and like not have more than X amount of calories. And so that was all just like so like the Tetris of getting through the day with food and working out and doing the show and everything else was wild. Um, But with cancer... I think in a way, it kind of gave me permission to let my hair down a little bit, mm. as literally as I was losing it. So, literally down as in the floor. Um, but, like, I would order Chinese food or I would eat a whole pizza or I'd go, I had KFC for the first time ever in my life when I was in chemo. Cause I was like, who fucking cares? I'm going to have KFC. I'm not going to die without having KFC. And I would order it and I'd have a whole bucket. And I would just sit there and eat everything because I could, because it was like, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and in the end, that ended up kind of serving me for two reasons. One, it gave me more body mass to, like, have strength and to, like, fight through what I needed to fight through. But then it also kind of, like, you know, on the other side of that was like, okay, you can stop, like, eating. Like, your life depends on it now. <laughs> and, like, be smart about it. Um, you know, and it just, it yeah, it was a weird time. Food food in that context was very strange. Like, there's just certain things you shouldn't have, like, you know, $100 worth of sushi, but I certainly bought it and I ate it and I threw up twice while I was eating it and I kept going because it was $100.
0: So do you think food became more like, you turned to it for emotional comfort at that point?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Okay. So why do you think you didn't eat like that before your cancer? I was terrified.
1: Okay. I was terrified, you know, I gave up, well, I didn't really give up, I don't want to say I gave up my life, but I left Pennsylvania and my family and everything else to come to New York to do theater and to be a performer, so for me to, like, lose, like, any part of the way that I looked was like, (gasps) don't do that, like, you know, you don't want casting to look at you a particular way, like, you want to get typed in, you want to get hired, like, and so it was just this really scary, like, You know, and on top of that, and this is a much longer conversation for another time, like, there's rampant homophobia in the industry. And so, like, as far as casting is concerned, so not only did I have to be, like, skinny and pretty, but I also had to be straight and, like, figure out a way to be passable as straight. And I took classes. I spent money on classes on how to do that. So
0: (laughs) so I'm curious, too, like, how... Was there discussion about how you looked in casting? Like, oh, you need to look a certain way, yeah. or were, were people making comments about how you looked or needing to do things to change the way you look?
1: Yeah. Um, I had a couple casting people tell me I was too big for a role. I mm-hmm. had and and that was both weight and height. I'm six four, so you know, like that's you know, people are like, you're enormous. Um mm-hmm. And I didn't really fit anywhere because, like, most of the roles that I was, quote, unquote, right for were, like, men in their 40s, but I was 22. And so I didn't fit with the dancers either because I wasn't a dancer. And they I, – I say this, but they have it so much worse. So, 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 so much worse.
0: So were you talking to other people to figure out, like, what to do? Or did you try to just figure it out on your own and make your own, like, ed rules? Like –
1: Okay. I definitely made my own ed rules. Okay. <laughs> I think I was afraid to talk to other people because it would have meant like okay. weakness or fear or like I didn't fit in or something along those lines. Okay.
0: And, you know, I, I know from my own experience in talking to others, like once something kind of quote unquote works, it, you get the positive comments and positive feedback and it feels very like good. And like, just, oh, I
1: figured it out. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't know if you had that experience and it felt like validating and it kind of like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this.
1: I mean, so I have I have two answers for this. One is that I always knew when I looked my best slash skinniest when I was getting called back for things. And so it was like, oh, people want me. I'm skinny now. I need to get skinnier. But then on the other side of that, which is even more fucked up, when I was recovering from cancer, Mm -hmm. I ran into an old acting coach on the train who I had, like, discreetly told low-key what was going on. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I was like, hey, I just found out that my cancer is probably gone. And he goes, oh, how are you ever going to get men to sleep with you now? (gasps) And I was like, uh, what? And for those who didn't know what was going on, I never in my entire life received more compliments on the way that I looked than I did when I was fresh out of the hospital. Like, my hair grew back, my beard was coming in, and everyone was like, you look amazing. I'm like, thanks, I was just dying for the last year. So it was like, if, if that is, and I always think about that, and I try to say that as many times as I can in every form I possibly can, because by beauty standards, if you look at those photos of me, I look like a movie star, but I was literally dying and had nothing on me. <laughs> like, we're talking like we're 100 to 150 days past my stem cell transplant, where they literally kill your whole body and then put your shit back in to like make you regenerate and it was a mess and it was ugly but that is when i got the most compliments on the way that i looked ever in my whole life
0: and i I know nobody listening to this can see my face but i'm just (laughs) like what like i'm just in (laughs) shock like this makes me sick what like what's wrong with people i mean i probably shouldn't be shocked and surprised after all everything i've heard but that is awful
1: Yeah, it's not great. It's something that sticks with me now. And like, even still, even now that I even like beyond all the work that I've done to try and help myself out of this, and I'm certainly not out of it. And I'm certainly not perfect. But like, I still look at photos of me back then. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll fit into those jeans again someday. Mm Mm-hmm. And like, I maybe three quarters of the way joke with people like, oh, if I could just do like one more round of chemo to lose this oh last 20 God. pounds. like. <laughs> oh
0: my God. So Ed's still like lingering back there.
1: Yeah. And I think it always will. I don't think it ever will go away just because it was such a big part of my life. And it was like things people said and I experienced were so impactful. Um, I don't think it ever will go away. I think what will help what is helping me and what will help down the road is to one, make light of it and understand how ridiculous it is. You know, like just the fact that people were complimenting me about how great I looked when I was dying, like yeah. is hilarious in and of itself. Like what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like I also have a dark sense of humor. So like when they were showing the Pope being laid out in the state and everything like this past week, I was like, Oh, he looks so skinny. And like, that's just, that's just my stupid sense of humor, (laughs) but like relatable because that's what I look like. And people were like, you look hot.
0: (laughs) But that speaks volumes, you know, it's like, that's exactly the point is like people give these compliments and people get get that hip dopamine, which is pleasure, you know, when they're getting those compliments, when they're at their most ill or they're doing the most eating disorder behavior. And, And that's what keeps it perpetuating and going. And they're thinking, I got to get back to that. I got to keep doing this. It's so validating. And I often hear that, like I said before, it's like, that's what oftentimes starts the eating disorder getting rampant is like, oh, I'm at, I'm dieting, I'm working so hard. And people are saying such great, positive things. I'm getting attention. It's quote unquote working. And when the compliments stop or you're not getting as much attention, it's like, oh, and I'm doing wrong. I got to get back to that. Right. And that makes me so sad to hear these things, right? It's like for you saying like, I don't think that'll ever go away. You know, part of why I do this podcast, you know, is because I was there myself and I never thought it would go away. I was like, no, nope, never. Ed's going to be here forever. And I want to just promote, you know, for people to break that myth that it doesn't ever go away. Ed does go away eventually, you know, so if I could instill that in you, like, it will hopefully, right? It doesn't feel like Ed will ever go away because it is so impactful it feels so good it had such an impact for you right um and i get that it feels like well how 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 could i ever not feel that way how could i ever not believe whatever i was told i get that it it does have huge
1: yeah well and i think certainly elements of like social media reinforce all of that too You know, because people are manipulating themselves with filters or different (laughs) ways of, like, moving their body around or, like, angles and lighting. And it's like, no one looks like that in person. Like, I worked in the fashion industry for, like, four seconds, and those models look absolutely nothing like that with makeup on. In fact, most of them are, like, kind of not pretty when they're not completely done up. And it's all a lie. Mm -hmm. All of it. Like... (laughs)
0: listen people listen
1: to him (laughs) it's all a lie when you pull back the curtain it's all a lie (laughs) it's the wizard of oz like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain (laughs) but it's just like models aren't you know the the runway models like without the makeup and the thing like they're not commercially or conventionally quote-unquote pretty because that's not what the industry is looking for they're looking for clothes hangers with heads that could walk And it's not, it's not fair, you know, like, and I know some of them and they're lovely people and I'm not trying to disparage any of them. It's just like the industry is the problem. They aren't.
0: Right. I don't know if people know the history behind supermodels. Like literally that's how it started. You know, they used to put, um, the clothes on, you know, hangers going down a runway, but they kind of get started to get bunched up. So they said, find me people that look as close to hangers as possible you know, this is true. They didn't want the emphasis, the uh, um, the attention to be on the supermodels. They wanted it to be on the close and find me very plain looking people that are as close to hangers as possible. That's yeah. how supermodels became to be known as like, you know, find me the thinnest people possible. But-
1: Right, like the thinnest, most uninteresting, whatever. And then it morphed into its own kind of whole, whole different thing.
0: Right, so when you said that, it's true like you said clothes hangers
1: yeah uh, with a head that can walk
0: <laughs> you know people a lot of people don't know that they don't know the history behind it and why a lot of supermodels are tall and thin just like that Um, the standard I mean it's very toxic
1: it's I mean and the fact that we have a standard of beauty in the first place is like even that phrase standard of beauty is just so gross like who came up with that
0: right I mean you know Beauty comes in all shapes, sizes, forms.
1: Totally, you know? I always joke. I was joke like, "Can we go back to the days when like being heavy meant that like you had money to feed yourself and you didn't have to do manual labor, and right. it meant that you had your shit together, and that was appealing? Like, can we go back to that? Because like I'm prime real estate. Like, let's let's go back to those days."
0: <laughs> you bring up a good point when you're actually giving yourself your body what it needs to stay alive, to function, right? It's not going to look like it's dying. Your body when it's right. dying and not healthy, really. That's that's a problem when people are giving you compliments saying you look great when you're literally on death's door. That's very scary to me.
1: Yeah. It was alarming and like still to this day, you know, 10 years out from being told I was cancer-free, like that's the one thing that sticks with me the most is like that that's the thing that happened it just it blows my mind (laughs) so you have to laugh at it like as as fucked up as it is like you have to laugh at it because there it's not you it's nothing you did it's just the way that the world as a whole perceives beauty and thinness and all kinds of shit. And like, I could just go on and on about body positivity all day. And like, you know, there's toxicity within that community as well. But for the most part, I get it. And like, I want to support it because I, my weight fluctuates. I go from, you know, the same 50 pound bracket up and down all the time. And so it's just kind of like becoming accustomed to the way that you look and being okay with it.
0: So where would you say you're at now with your health i mean in terms of your cancer in terms of your body image in terms of your relationship with food like how are things now for you
1: um well i mean cancer's gone so it's like not even yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's been gone for 10 years it's not even really a conversation but there's a lot of like there's a lot of like i would say ptsd stuff that kind of sticks with you like if i have pain somewhere that lasts a little bit too long, I will go on a full downward spiral Mm. that there's some kind of tumor growing in me that I can't see. Mm. Uh, which doesn't happen often. I actually just had that happen in the last two weeks. And that's the first time it's happened in years. So like it gets better.
0: So you know, obviously you had this this whole trajectory of things, you sound like you're in a much like more stable place emotionally, physically, everything and thank goodness in terms of 10 years out with the cancer. That's awesome. Do you have any, like, if anyone listening can, like, reap some wisdom from you, do you have any final words for anybody that's listening?
1: Do I have wisdom? Um, (laughs) That feels like a loaded question. Do I have wisdom? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say, at least in regards to food and you know your relationship to it whether that is disorderly or otherwise um do what you enjoy Mm. like do what makes you happy because in the end it doesn't matter like as long as you're healthy the rest of it doesn't matter you know like as uh, what we've gone through the last couple years like what what i've gone through in the last 10 years like if you don't have your health you have nothing. Mm-hmm. So whatever you can do to get yourself to a happy place, if that affects the way that you look, learn to love it. Because if you looking any other particular way means that you are less healthy and you are suffering in that way, then it's just it's not worth it. Cut cut it out. Cut it down. <laughs> Good.
0: Now, you shared with me, you've written a book. Is this correct? Yes, I did. Okay, so if anyone wants to read it, know more about you and your story, how can they find you and read your book?
1: Sure, um, I will give you a little visual here, if that's okay. Sure. Um, it's called Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses. You can't see it because my stupid ring light, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses. It's on Barnes & Noble uh amazon if you're in canada it's on indigo if you're in australia it's in booktopia it's in like it's everywhere it's on like 30 different retailers um and this is kind of like my digital book tour but uh but yeah i mean it's it's i'm really proud of it it's my 10-year cancer anniversary survivorship celebration swans not swan song that means i'm dying but like you know thing thing that i'm proud of that i'm i'm getting behind fully right now and it's a funny read i i try to describe it as like a fantasy non-fiction dark comedy musical theater based funny as cancer can be autobiographical adjacent piece Awesome! <laughs> all right. it's its own genre <laughs> right now
0: <laughs> well that's fantastic you know um so if anyone's listening i want to put all of the links and everything in the show notes if you're okay with that
1: yeah, um, please.
0: I really appreciate you sharing your story and being here. I love people. And like I said, before we recorded being real and um, being open and willing to share what they've been through. So thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Anytime.
0: This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guest are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.